0: Chapter eleven of the Mystery of the Pinckney Draft This Librivox recording is in the public domain The Mystery of the Pinckney Draft by Charles C. Knott Chapter eleven The Wilson and Randolph Drafts Since Madison's time there have been uncovered four papers of which he knew nothing, and they bring us into an almost new field of inquiry these papers are in the handwriting of james wilson edmund randolph and john rutledge all members of the committee of detail and they are drafts or sketches for drafts of the constitution the first paper chronologically is not a draft it was discovered by professor mclaughlin and was published by him in the nation of april twenty eighth nineteen o four AND IS AMONG THE WILSON PAPERS IN THE LIBRARY OF THE HISTORICAL SOCIETY OF PENNSYLVANIA. IT IS IN WILSON'S HAND AND WAS FOUND AMONG HIS PAPERS, BUT IF IT WAS DRAWN UP BY HIM, OF WHICH I DO NOT FEEL SURE, IT IS QUESTIONABLE WHETHER IT WAS PREPARED BY HIM FOR THE CONVENTION OF 1787, AND IT IS UNQUESTIONABLE THAT IT WAS PREPARED BEFORE THE ADOPTION OF THE 23 RESOLUTIONS a single article or item of the paper will demonstrate this and its worthlessness twenty means of enforcing and compelling the payment of the quota of each state this is all that there is concerning the rock upon which the confederation was already wrecked the dependence of the general government upon the voluntary action of the state governments for revenue wilson in seventeen eighty seven was too intelligent a statesman to even think of retaining this condition of national dependency, and he was too wise a man to talk of enforcing and compelling the several states to contribute to the national treasury. He may have prepared the paper some time before the convention was called, when amendments to the Articles of Confederation were all that was anticipated, but he did not draw up this memorandum after he had become a member of the Committee of Detail. The second paper in Wilson's hand was discovered by Professor Jamieson among the Wilson papers, and was published by him in the Annual Report of the Historical Association, 1902, Volume 1, page 151. This paper contains the preamble of the Pinckney draft, and, consequently, of the draft of the committee. Then follow the first three articles of the committee's draft, with some slight variations of language, and then, under the caption of what should be Article Four, come 29 paragraphs containing provisions closely agreeing with the provisions of the committee's, but unarranged and incoherent in their order. The second sheet of this draft is, unfortunately, missing the third sheet contains various provisions following closely the seventeenth eighteenth nineteenth twentieth and twenty-first resolutions and near the end of the paper the provisions relating to the veto power taken from the constitution of massachusetts with the term governor of the united states twice used the third paper of wilson was likewise discovered by professor jameson Wilson had prepared the second draft for himself, but this third or final draft manifestly was prepared for the consideration of the other members of the committee. He wrote it on large foolscap in what is called double columns, that is, half of each page was left blank for the comments and suggestions and amendments of the others. The writing is in the clear, neat, legible hand characteristic of Wilson, and before the work of revision began there was hardly a clerical error in the paper a remarkable contrast is stamped upon it consisting of forty-three amendments in the scrawly slovenly bold illegible writing of rutledge who really seems to have found pleasure in cutting and slashing the careful work the almost feminine neatness and niceness of wilson's pages this draft unlike the second is divided into articles but unlike the committees is not subdivided into sections the fourth of these recently discovered papers is in the handwriting of edmund randolph mr william m miggs in his growth of the constitution has done an excellent piece of historical work in reproducing the draft of randolph in facsimile in its interlineations erasures changes omissions and marginal queries we see randolph's doubts and perplexities and the incompleteness of his plan and the limitations of his mental view of a draft and we see this as distinctly as if we stood beside him while he wrote a more disheveled paper was never reproduced in facsimile Upon its margin are annotations and suggestions of omitted provisions which are in the hand of Rutledge. One thing, most meritorious, appears that Randolph carefully and conscientiously went through the 23 resolutions and neglected no instruction which they gave. But the chief question remains unexplained as Sparks left it how came the committee of detail to wander so far from the resolutions with the resolutions before them and randolph himself one of their number the draft of randolph begins in this way in the draft of a fundamental constitution two things deserve attention one to insert essential principles only lest the operations of government should be clogged by rendering those provisions permanent and unalterable which ought to be accommodated of times and events and two to use simple and precise language and general propositions according to the example of the constitutions of the several states randolph then considers the subject of a preamble and sets forth a brief disquisition to show that a preamble is proper and what it should contain we are not working he says on the natural rights of men not yet gathered into society but upon the rights modified by society and interwoven with what we call the rights of states he outlines what the preamble should set forth his views are sound but his intended preamble is not the preamble reported by the Committee of Detail. There is a curious provision in his draft relating to the compensation of senators. The wages of senators shall be paid out of the Treasury of the United States. Those wages for the first six years shall be X dollars per diem. At the beginning of every sixth year after the first, THE SUPREME JUDICIARY SHALL CAUSE A SPECIAL JURY OF THE MOST RESPECTABLE MERCHANTS AND FARMERS TO BE SUMMONED TO DECLARE WHAT SHALL HAVE BEEN THE AVERAGED VALUE OF WHEAT DURING THE LAST SIX YEARS IN THE STATE WHERE THE LEGISLATURE SHALL BE SITTING, AND FOR THE FIRST SUBSEQUENT YEARS THE SENATORS SHALL RECEIVE PER DIEM THE AVERAGE VALUE OF X BUSHELS OF WHEAT, this extraordinary provision for the benefit of senators only illustrates the crudity of randolph's intentions at the time and the incompleteness of his plan the annotations of rutledge are few but they are valuable for they authenticate the paper they prove it was the very paper upon which randolph and rutledge worked and that it was all which they had then prepared toward a draft of the constitution These drafts of Randolph and Wilson disclose another fact of unusual interest. When the Randolph draft was found bearing the annotations of Rutledge, it suggested the idea that the two Southern members of the Committee of Detail had put their heads together to draft a constitution which would be accepted at the South, and that probably the three Northern members had prepared another which would be accepted at the North but the final draft of Wilson dispels that illusion. We now know that Rutledge gave quite as much attention to the Wilson draft as to the Randolph draft, and that he wrote many more amendments upon its margin. Nothing has been discovered to show that Ellsworth and Gorham even attempted to draft a constitution, and after finding that the other members used and utilized and amended the Pinckney draft, "'we know that there was nothing left for Ellsworth and Gorham to draft. "'They were not constructive men in the convention, "'though being critically minded, "'they may have rendered good service in the way of revision, "'but they contributed nothing to the draft of the committee. "'Every provision in it is traceable to Pinckney, "'Wilson, Randolph, and Rutledge, "'and they were its authors.' The second and third drafts of Wilson appear in neatness and completeness to be copies. There is nothing indicative in them of an author's perturbations. The writing is small and finished. If it were not known to be Wilson's hand, one could easily believe it to be that of a secretary, giving good work for wages, undisturbed by the cross-currents of thought and composition. But on the back of a sheet of the second draft is a paragraph which is unmistakably a rough draft, which is unquestionably author's work, warped and altered in the uncertainties of construction and composition, and this piece of work is a preamble. As first written, before erasures and interlineations began, it stood as follows we the people of the states of new hampshire etc do agree upon ordain and establish the following frame of government as the constitution of the united states of america according to which we and our posterity shall be governed under the name and style of the united states of america wilson then amplified the first part of this draft and the amplifications well illustrate the bent of his mind toward details and particulars and he next reduced it by omitting the clauses which relate to the government of ourselves and our posterity and to the name and style of the future nation so that it reads as follows we the people of the states of new hampshire etc already confederated under and known by the style of the united states of america do ordain declare and establish the following frame of government as the constitution of the said united states neither of these versions is the preamble reported by the committee each lacks the bold simplicity and comprehensiveness and directness of pinckney's we the people of new hampshire etc do ordain declare and establish the following constitution for the government of ourselves and posterity the preamble is in words and structure a small thing two persons having the tasks set them of preparing a preamble with that of massachusetts before them as material out of which each should be made could hardly avoid one would think evolving out of it two sentences, which would be in terms almost identical. But even in this small thing, the different traits and methods and style of the two men appear. Pinckney takes the Massachusetts preamble and reduces it until he gets what he wants without a superfluous word. Wilson cannot resist amplifying, even while he is condensing, When we get through with what is unquestionably Wilson's work, the preamble for the committee remained to be written, unless it was already written in the Pinckney draft. In the investigation of the charges of Madison against Pinckney, it was found that whenever the evidence was subjected to a rigorous examination, the case broke down. These drafts of Wilson and Randolph though not intended as a charge against pinckney may be treated as such the charge of appropriating wilson's work and representing it to be his own accordingly i have in like manner examined the evidence and have again found that it does not sustain the charge a few illustrations will make this plain the preamble in the committee's draft is in wilson's word for word when we find that this preamble is in the preliminary draft of wilson a member of the committee and in the finished product the draft of the committee we easily infer that wilson was the author the originator of the preamble and when we find that the same preamble is in the draft of pinckney and know that he possessed a copy of the committee's draft we are in danger of taking another step on the pathway of assumption and reaching the conclusion that pinckney must have taken his preamble from the committee's draft this makes a case against pinckney which is entitled to explanation or examination the preamble to the constitution of the united states was suggested by the articles of confederation and the constitutions of eleven of the thirteen states Its language was taken by Pinckney, or by Wilson, or by both, from the Constitution of Massachusetts, by much condensing. Wilson's draft is identical in terms with Pinckney's, save for the insertion of a single word, our, in the last line, for the government of ourselves and our posterity. This word, our, is here a word of limitation a word which, taken literally, would confine the blessings and government of the Constitution to the men who made it, and their posterity. But at the time when these early constitutions were framed, the growth of the country, it was foreseen, would depend chiefly on immigration. The Constitution of Massachusetts does not use the word citizen and throws the door of the elective franchise open to every male person resident in any particular town and to the inhabitants of each town and to remove all doubts concerning the meaning of the word inhabitant in this constitution every person shall be considered as an inhabitant for the purpose of electing and being elected into any office or place within the state in that town district or plantation where he dwelleth or has his home the draftsmen of the massachusetts constitution therefore with logical exactitude left the word posterity unrestricted and broad enough to extend to the posterity of all men who thereafter might become inhabitants within the state two things must now be noted the first is that every word in pinckney's preamble save one was taken from the preamble of the Constitution of Massachusetts, the second, that Pinckney's draft adheres to the unrestricted posterity of the Constitution, and does not follow the restricted posterity of the Wilson draft. The charge that Pinckney's preamble was necessarily derived from the committee's draft is therefore doubly refuted. There was a source to which Pinckney could go for his preamble, the Constitution of Massachusetts, and he went there. There was a deviation from the Constitution of Massachusetts in the Wilson draft, and Pinckney did not follow it. Wilson probably inserted the word our in his preamble for a rhetorical reason, for he was one of the signers of an instrument which rang with its own concluding words, our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor the insertion of one word our in one of these preambles is a slender strand of circumstantial evidence but circumstantial evidence is made up generally of slender strands and circumstantial evidence is least suspicious when the strands are severally insignificant with the Declaration of Independence, and the Articles of a Confederation, and eleven of the State Constitutions containing preambles, it is inconceivable that Pinckney would have framed his draft without a preamble, and if Pinckney framed the preamble, as he must have done, it is inconceivable that he would have thrown it aside in 1818 and submitted another man's, for he was never ashamed of his own work and it must be taken as a fixed fact that pinckney had a preamble for the structure of the draft required it the first article would be meaningless without one the style of this government the government announced in the preamble therefore having the necessity of a preamble and the production of one in 1818 and the strict adherence in words and intent to the constitution of massachusetts and pinckney's familiarity with that constitution the severally slender strands become a cord of circumstantial evidence which must satisfy an unprejudiced mind that pinckney was the author of the preamble in his draft there are too many clues here to be disregarded and they all lead one way The unquestionable sketches of a preamble in Wilson's and Randolph's handwriting show only three attempts and three failures. Let us now consider a second illustrative case. As we have seen in a previous chapter, Chapter 11, the third of the 23 resolutions declared that the members of the House of Representatives ought to receive an adequate compensation for their services and the fourth resolution, that the members of the Senate ought to receive a compensation for the devotion of their time to the public service. The term adequate implied and required the exercise of some discretionary power, which must necessarily be national. For if Senators and Representatives were to be paid by the States which sent them to Congress, The members of Congress could not well turn around and dictate to the states what they should be paid. This was understood at the time. For on the 22nd and 26th of June, when the convention refused to retain the words, to be paid out of the National Treasury, in the third resolution, Massachusetts concurred, as Madison says, not because they thought the State Treasury ought to be substituted, but because they thought nothing should be said on the subject, in which case it would silently devolve on the National Treasury to support the National Legislature. Furthermore, this thing was not done in a corner and the consideration of it was not confined to an hour. On the 12th of June, the Committee of the Whole had resolved that the representatives in Congress ought to be paid out of the National Treasury and again on the same day that senators ought to be paid out of the national treasury and on the thirteenth of june the committee had voted to report these resolutions to the convention and on the twenty-second of june the convention had refused to change this to payment by the states moreover the proposition that members be paid by the states had been condemned by the strongest men in the convention "'Those who pay are the masters of those who are paid,' Hamilton had said, and Gorham, Randolph, King, Wilson, and Madison had said as much. Nevertheless, the Committee of Detail reported a provision that the members should be paid by the States, and not only this, but also that the compensation should be ascertained by the State in which they shall be chosen.' The only reason for, or explanation, of the committee's act so far as we know is that, working hurriedly, they overlooked one of the details of the third and fourth resolution, and, using Pinckney's draft as their copy, inadvertently allowed this provision of his to stand unchanged. In these newly found papers of Wilson, this provision making the compensation of the national legislators dependent upon the action of the state legislators appears just as it stands in the draft of the committee of detail did wilson originate this or did he get it from the pinckney draft there is good reason for believing that such a provision would be found in pinckney's draft on the twenty second of june when the clause of the third resolution declaring that members ought to be paid out of the public treasury had been advocated by some of the strongest men in the convention and the convention apparently were about to adopt it their immediate action was blocked by south carolina the determination of the house on the whole proposition was on motion of the deputies of the state of south carolina postponed until tomorrow, says the journal A state had this right under the rules of the convention, and the deputies of South Carolina exercised it, Pinckney being one of them. On the following day, they succeeded in defeating the adoption of the clause. On the 26th of June, General Pinckney proposed that no salary should be allowed to senators. This branch, he said, was meant to represent wealth, it ought to be composed of persons of wealth and on the question for payment of the senate to be left to the states south carolina voted aye but there is no good reason why we might expect to find this provision in wilson's draft the resolutions did not so direct and there had not been a single vote of the convention which committed this matter of compensation to the states and Wilson's personal bias could not have misled him, for he condemned it. On the 22nd of June, he had said in the convention that he thought it of great moment that the members of the national government should be left as independent as possible of the state governments in all respects, and during the same debate he had moved that the salaries of the first branch be ascertained by the national legislature the explanation is that wilson working with pinckney's draft before him gave his attention to improving its phraseology and that the other members of the committee confiding in wilson's scrupulous carefulness and particularity overlooked his mistake we have before us a third illustration the constitution of new york provided the supreme legislative power within this state shall be vested in two separate and distinct bodies of men the one to be called the assembly of the state of new york the other to be called the senate of the state of new york who together shall form the legislature and meet once at least in every year of the despatch of business the draft of pinckney varies slightly THE LEGISLATIVE POWER SHALL BE VESTED IN A CONGRESS, TO CONSIST OF TWO SEPARATE HOUSES, ONE TO BE CALLED THE HOUSE OF DELEGATES, AND THE OTHER THE SENATE, WHO SHALL MEET ON THE BLANK DAY OF BLANK IN EVERY YEAR. THE DRAFT OF WILSON ALSO FOLLOWS THIS, WITH LITTLE VARIATION. THE LEGISLATIVE POWER OF THE UNITED States SHALL BE VESTED IN TWO SEPARATE AND DISTINCT BODIES OF MEN. The one to be called the House of Representatives of the People of the United States, the other the Senate of the United States. So far, we have in these three instruments the same earmark. The one to be called the Assembly of the State of New York, the other to be called the Senate. One to be called the House of Delegates, and the other the Senate. The one to be called the House of Representatives, the other the Senate but the draft of the committee of detail departs both in words and structure from this form the legislative power shall be vested in a congress to consist of two separate and distinct bodies of men a house of representatives and a senate each of which shall in all cases have a negative upon the other Here, it was possible that Wilson followed the Pinckney draft, which was in his possession, but it was not possible that Pinckney copied Wilson's draft, which was then unpublished and unknown. The words that Pinckney and Wilson both used, the one to be called the House, the other the Senate, are clues which lead from Pinckney directly to the Constitution of New York the committee changed the words and changed the structure of the sentence and thereby rendered it certain that pinckney did not derive his provision from their draft let us take another illustrative case luther martin's resolution of july seventeenth provided the legislative acts of the united states and all treaties shall be the supreme law of the respective states the seventh of the twenty-three resolutions. Article Eight of the draft of the Committee of Detail varied the phraseology in one word, shall be the supreme law of the several States. The Committee of Style gave us the provision as it stands in the Constitution, Article Six: This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties which shall be made under the authority of the united states shall be the supreme law of the land turning back from the constitution to pinckney's draft avowedly drawn up before the work of the convention had even begun we find in his article six all acts made by the legislature of the united states pursuant to this constitution AND ALL TREATIES MADE UNDER THE AUTHORITY OF THE UNITED STATES SHALL BE THE SUPREME LAW OF THE LAND. THIS ASSUREDLY SEEMS TO BE AN INSTANCE WHICH CONFIRMS MADISON, THAT IS TO SAY, AN INSTANCE WHERE, AS MADISON SAID, THERE ARE TO BE FOUND IN THE DRAFT IN THE STATE DEPARTMENT THE RESULTS OF CRITICAL DISCUSSION AND MODIFICATION IN THE CONVENTION. MUST WE ALSO ADD WITH MADISON Which could not have been anticipated? Moreover, if Pinckney obtained this provision by purloining it, he must have taken it from the Constitution itself. The language in his draft apparently involves and combines three distinct acts of the Convention. The adoption of the resolution of Martin on the 17th of July, the acceptance of the Committee's draft of the 6th of August, the revision by the committee of style just before the dissolution of the convention this makes a dark charge against pinckney far darker and more specific than any charge that madison preferred against him at first sight it seems as if at last pinckney was taken in the toils of his own weaving as if there were no escape for him and that he must be convicted but the simple explanation is that pinckney took his provision and its verbiage from the congress of the confederated states in the resolution of march twenty first seventeen eighty seven luther martin did not adhere to the language of the resolution and he did not intend to for his resolution was a compromise an alternate for a proposed power in congress to negative the laws of the states and he intended that his resolution should bear directly and explicitly upon the respective states. The subject was one of great importance, of surpassing interest, and had but recently been disposed of by compromise in the Convention, and the Committee properly adhered to Martin's resolution, correcting only one word by the substitution of another several for respective, shall be the supreme law of the several states. Pinckney had been a member of the Congress when the resolution of March 21 was passed. He may have drafted it himself, and certainly it covered a matter in which he was interested above all other things, the supremacy of the national government. The Committee of Style may have taken the concluding phrase from the resolution of Congress, or they may have placed it in the constitution on their own motion for trevett v Weedon had been heard and adjudicated by the supreme court of rhode island on september twenty fifth twenty sixth seventeen eighty six and the words the law of the land were in the air and the term had received a judicial significance which has never been adequately appreciated it meant an authority higher than a statute there are three important articles in wilson's draft which are not wilson's these appear on the margin in the handwriting of rutledge and answer to article fourteen fifteen and sixteen of the committee's draft as they are in almost the precise language of pinckney's article twelve and thirteen the much repeated question again arises Did Rutledge take them from the Pinckney draft? Were they then in the Pinckney draft to be taken, or did Pinckney abstract them from the committee's draft? The question is easily and decisively answered. These articles are described in the observations. Pinckney's title to them cannot be questioned. Wilson and Rutledge had his draft before them and used it, when Rutledge wrote these articles upon the margin. The veto power was cast by the Convention in their resolutions with those of the Executive. Pinckney had placed it in his draft among the Legislative, though he is careful to say in the observations that the Executive is not a branch of the Legislature farther than as a part of the Council of Revision. Nevertheless, he placed the veto at the end of his Article five an article relating to the choosing of members of the lower house, to the privileges of representatives and senators, to the business proceedings of both houses. Wilson more clearly perceived that the American veto would lack the finality of the Leroy visera of, of the Crown, and that it would be neither a legislative nor an executive power, though having the properties of both, and he properly made of the veto power an entire and independent article, Article 7 of his draft. There were members of the convention who regarded the veto power as a bulwark against the encroachments of the legislative power, and Wilson himself had said that the executive ought to have an absolute negative, that without such a self-defense THE LEGISLATURE CAN AT ANY MOMENT SINK IT INTO NON-EXISTENCE. UNQUESTIONABLY, THE VETO PROVISION OUGHT TO HAVE BEEN PLACED IN THE COMMITTEE'S DRAFT AS WILSON PLACED IT IN HIS OWN, BUT IT WAS NOT. ON THE CONTRARY, IT APPEARS THERE AS IT APPEARS IN Pinckney's, AS AN INCONGRUOUS PARAGRAPH AT THE END OF AN ARTICLE WHICH DEALS WITH THE HOUSE OF REPRESENTATIVES, WITH THE BUSINESS OF BOTH HOUSES and with the privileges of the members of each the one thing certain here is absolutely certain that the committee in this did not follow wilson's draft though it was correct and did follow some other draft though it was incorrect it is comprehensible that if the provision of the veto power had started wrong as it did in pinckney's draft it might have continued wrong and its misplacement might have remained unnoticed but it is incomprehensible how the error could have been known to at least the two leading members of the committee and have been actually and plainly corrected by one of them and the provision then have relapsed into the condition in which pinckney left it unless the committee found about the end say of the seventh day and that they must forego either the completion of wilson's carefully prepared work or their bringing into the convention, printed copies for the use of members, and that they then determined to use Pinckney's draft as copy for the printer, letting Wilson to work into it, so far as he could, the corrections that he had embodied in his own, and the changes which the committee had agreed upon. The incompleteness with which this was done shows very plainly that toward the end of the ten days the committee worked in haste there are too many errors in the draft which would be both inexcusable and inexplicable if the committee had had ordinary time to do their extraordinary work there is a curious omission in wilson's draft which indirectly brings to the light the composite authorship of one section of the constitution in 1777 the punishment of treason had been a delicate subject in the united states more likely to be avoided than discussed in seventeen eighty seven the members of the convention had not forgotten that within a dozen years they had had a personal interest in that subject pinckney in article six had given congress twenty-two specific unrestricted powers but when he came to the power to declare the punishment of treason he paused and defined what treason should consist in and provided that no person should be convicted of the restricted crime but by the testimony of two witnesses he threw all this into a distinct paragraph which ultimately with additional restrictions became section two of article seven of the committee's draft but neither the paragraph of pinckney nor the section of the committee is in the draft of wilson wilson did not overlook the subject the legislature of the united states shall have the power his draft says to declare what shall be treason against the united states and having attached no restriction to the power he properly placed it among the specified powers immediately after the one to declare the law and punishment of piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and the punishment of counterfeiting the coin of the united states and of offenses against the law of nations but rutledge did not consent to this he and pinckney seemed to have vaguely feared that the law of treason might yet be administered in the united states by george the third and he scrawled with his ruthless hand on the margin of wilson's carefully written page not to work corruption of blood or forfeit except during the life of the party and wilson thereupon erased his own provision and struck it out from among the specific unrestricted powers here the significant fact to be noted is that the words written on the margin of wilson's draft were not taken from pinckney's That is to say, the restrictions proposed by Rutledge were additional to those set forth by Pinckney. What Pinckney wrote and what Rutledge wrote, and nothing more, make the second section of the committee's draft compounded and rearranged. The material was supplied by Pinckney and Rutledge. The reconstruction, judging by the careful and logical way the work was done, was by Wilson one, the definition of the crime, two, the power to punish the crime defined, three, the restriction upon judicial proceedings, on the testimony of two witnesses, four, the restriction upon the result of conviction that it should not work corruption of blood or forfeiture, except during the life of the person attained. It is also to be noted that no draft of this section two has been found for reasons subsequently to be stated chapter twelve it must be inferred that it was found on the margin of the pinckney draft in article eight of wilson's draft immediately following his treason clause is this provision to regulate the discipline of the militia of the several states In Article VI of Pinckney's draft, the same power is given to pass laws for arming, organizing, and disciplining the militia of the United States. This grant of power to arm, organize, and discipline meant that control of State troops should be taken from the States and lodged in the general government. It was a radical departure from what had been, a change not countenanced by the Articles of Confederation, and not authorized by the 23 Resolutions. During the debates, no member of the Convention had so much as suggested it, and on the 26th of July, when the Convention adjourned to enable the Committee of Detail to draft a Constitution, pinckney alone had ventured to formulate a provision which might alarm the states and arouse the anger and opposition of the militia he had done so that we know it is incontrovertible for it is specifically described in the observations the exclusive right of establishing regulations for the government of the militia of the united states ought certainly to be vested in the federal government yet the committee of detail did not think so and they did not report such a provision here again it is possible that wilson took his provision from pinckney's draft but it is not possible that pinckney took his from wilson's the draft of randolph discloses three important pieces of information which tend positively to sustain the pinckney draft the first is in the words of mr meigs THAT IT WAS DRAWN UP AFTER THE CONVENTION HAD AGREED UPON THE RESOLUTIONS THAT WERE REFERRED TO IN THE COMMITTEE OF DETAIL ON JULY 26TH, AND IN NUMEROUS INSTANCES, ITS language is MODELED UPON THEM WITH EVEN VERBAL ACCURACY. GROWTH OF THE CONSTITUTION, PAGE 318. MANIFESTLY, THIS DRAFT WAS NOT WRITTEN, WAS NOT EVEN BEGUN, UNTIL AFTER RANDOLPH HAD BECOME A MEMBER OF THE COMMITTEE. The writing of it, the revising of it, its numerous alterations and corrections, the submission of it to Rutledge, his examination of it and his changes and additions must have taken time. Almost every sentence in it is checked as if it had been compared with some other paper. In a word, it indicates that some days must have passed after the 26th of July before randolph and rutledge could have written it and revised it and left it in its present form and it witnesses the important fact that only five or six days before the finished draft of the committee of detail was put in the hands of the printer at least two members of the committee were no nearer completion of the work than this dishevelled draft the great improbability against the pinckney draft is that one man alone and unassisted should have prepared so much of the constitution but it is a hundred times more improbable that this committee unassisted by pinckney's draft should have prepared and completed their own with all its well selected details with language carefully taken from many sources and with provisions far in excess of their instructions than that pinckney should have completed his in his own time making as he did four or five versions of it thoroughly versed as he was in the needs and weaknesses of the existing general government and the constitutions of the several states and be able to confer as he did with the ablest statesmen in the country the second thing which the randolph draft does for us is important and most interesting. It enables us to ascertain the fact that the section of the committee's draft, which declares the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, Article 11, Section 3, was the work of three persons, and the very words which each contributed. The sixteenth resolution of the convention was as follows. 16. Resolved that the jurisdiction of the national judiciary shall extend to cases arising under laws passed by the general legislature and to such other questions as involve the national peace and harmony randolph followed the resolution but enlarged the jurisdiction and rutledge added two provisions in marginal notes and their proposed section was as follows THE JURISDICTION OF THE SUPREME TRIBUNAL SHALL extend, ONE, TO ALL CASES ARISING UNDER LAWS PASSED BY THE GENERAL LEGISLATURE, TWO, TO IMPEACHMENTS OF OFFICERS, AND THREE, TO SUCH CASES AS THE NATIONAL LEGISLATURE SHALL ASSIGN AS INVOLVING THE NATIONAL PEACE AND HARMONY, IN THE COLLECTION OF REVENUE, IN DISPUTES BETWEEN CITIZENS OF DIFFERENT STATES, Here, Rutledge has added on the margin, in disputes between a state and a citizen or citizens of other states, in disputes between different states, and disputes in which subjects or citizens of other countries are concerned. Here, Rutledge has added, in cases of admiralty jurisdiction. But this supreme jurisdiction shall be appellate only except in cases of impeachment, and in those instances in which the legislature shall make it original, and the legislature shall organize it. The whole or a part of the jurisdiction aforesaid, according to the discretion of the legislature, may be assigned to the inferior tribunals as original tribunals. Meigs, page 244. When we pass to the draft of the Committee of Detail, we find that the latter part of this section of Randolph's was adopted, but that the first part was rejected. This rejection, however, was not a curtailment of jurisdiction, but a substitution of other language in the stead of Randolph's. The question, therefore, which is now presented to us, is this, who contributed the substitute? who was the author of the first part of the third section. The corresponding Declaration of Jurisdiction in the Pinckney Draft, in Article 10, contains only four subjects of jurisdiction. Each of these was suggested by other provisions of the draft. Article 8, for instance, provides that the President may be removed on impeachment by the House of Delegates and conviction in the Supreme Court article ten accordingly provides that the jurisdiction of the supreme court shall extend to the trial of impeachment of officers the style is characteristic of pinckney clear and terse and yet carelessly expressed one of these courts he says shall be termed the supreme court whose jurisdiction shall extend to all cases arising under the laws of the united states or affecting ambassadors other public ministers and consuls to the trial and impeachment of officers of the united states to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction if we now turn to the draught of the committee we shall find that these lines are the first lines of section three and that the two draughts are here identical they contain the same provisions arranged in the same sequence expressed in the same terms these lines therefore form the substitute which appears to have displaced the first part of randolph's section the two things fit together with precision the significant fact to be noted here is that the pinckney draft contains the provisions and words which form the apparent substitute in the committee's draft but contains nothing more in a word not one of the provisions which we now know were prepared by randolph and rutledge are in the pinckney draft four then of the grants of jurisdiction in article eleven section three of the committee's draft apparently were taken from the pinckney draft and the remaining four unquestionably were taken from the randolph draft the section, therefore, is composite." Wilson's draft here comes into the case of enabling us to understand how this combination was brought about. Wilson was, in effect, rewriting the Pinckney draft. Finding the first four subjects of jurisdiction precisely what he wanted, he retained them as they were without change or amendment. But they were insufficient, randolph wilson and rutledge were lawyers in practice who could foresee controversies in the future dual system which pinckney had not foreseen accordingly wilson took four additional subjects of jurisdiction from randolph's draught having rutledge's amendments and with some revising thus brought eight subjects of jurisdiction into his draught which subsequently appeared in the committees to say that Pinckney was fraudulently plagiarizing from the committee's draft thirty-one years afterward and that while so doing he chanced to take one-half of the committee's subjects of jurisdiction but not the other half and that the half which he chanced to take might very well be his own and that the half which he did not take chanced as we now know to be Randolph's is to state an absurdity there are too many things here to be ascribed to chance and each and all of them must have chanced to take place to make out a case of plagiarism against pinckney the third piece of information which randolph's draft gives us is in the nature of positive evidence and establishes directly the fact that the committee recognized pinckney's draft and used it under the heading the following are the legislative powers with certain exceptions and under certain restrictions randolph set forth the powers of congress for the most part taken from the articles of confederation to raise money by taxation to make war etc etc after investing the general government with these powers he turned not illogically to restrictions which would prevent the states from usurping or denying the powers so granted and placed in his draft the following provision all laws of a particular state repugnant hereto shall be void and in the decision thereon which shall be vested in the supreme judiciary all incidents without which the general principle cannot be satisfied shall be considered as involved in the general principle this section he subsequently cancelled and over it he wrote insert the eleven article where then is this article eleven which would restrict the powers of the states and render their laws if repugnant to the constitution void it cannot be article eleven of the articles of confederation for it provides only for the admission of canada as one of the states of this union it cannot be article eleven of the draft of the committee of detail for it relates only to the judicial power of the united states to the judges to jurisdiction to the trial of criminal offences and there is not a line which limits the power of a state or declares a statute void moreover the restrictions upon the states in the committee's draft are divided and placed in two articles which are numbered twelve thirteen it cannot be article eleven of wilson's draft for it relates to the powers of the senate the power to make treaties to appoint ambassadors and judges to adjudicate controversies between two or more states and controversies concerning lands claimed under conflicting grants from different states it being article nine of the committee's draft there is however an article eleven which places restrictions upon the states and meets the requirements of randolph as exactly as if it had been framed to effect his purpose and it is article eleven of the pinckney draft we know too that it is pinckney's own for it is described in the observations with the eleventh article in wilson's draft and the eleventh article in the committee's failing to respond to the requirements of the reference and with pinckney's article eleven responding fully and exactly to it there is but one conclusion left which is that randolph when he wrote insert the eleven article intended article eleven of the pinckney draft when the fact is established that the committee of detail had before them the pinckney draft and took from it a single excerpt though of not more than four lines the burden cannot rest on pinckney to account for identities and resemblances the onus probandi will then be upon the other side and the issue being whether the committee used the pinckney draft or pinckney copied from the committees the presumption must be until the contrary be shown that all identical provisions in the two drafts originated in pinckney's if james wilson were now living and asserting that he was the true and unassisted author of the committee's draft these papers would be strong though not conclusive evidence to maintain his claim and if pinckney had never prepared a draft of the constitution and his draft had never been presented to the convention and had never been referred to the committee of detail for the express purpose of assisting them in drawing up a draft of the constitution these papers would justify historical scholars in saying that wilson should occupy the place in which pinckney occupies and that the alien member of the convention was the chief individual contributor to the constitution of the united states but the defect of these papers is that we know nothing about them save that they are in the handwriting of wilson and rutledge that they are original matter that they are not made up of excerpts from pinckney's draft are propositions which are now sustained only by conjectures against such conjectures there stand the consistent silences of all members of the committee gorham lived nine years and said nothing of his colleague's great work wilson lived eleven years and saw the government which conspicuously he had helped to form firmly established and became a judge of the supreme court yet while he lived gave no intimation of having drawn up the most important document of the convention and when he died left no statement showing the manner in which the work of the committee of detail was done when wilson passed away it behooved ellsworth and rutledge and randolph to testify to posterity if not to the men of their own time of the great part which wilson had secretly played in the drama of the constitution if he was the author of the draft but rutledge lived two years and ellsworth nine years and randolph fifteen years and gave no sign against such conjectures too there is the record of the other draft a series of incontestable facts each consistent with those that had gone before it, and with those which were to come after it. Pinckney prepared a draft. It was presented to the convention. It was referred to the committee of the whole, and thereby made accessible to every member of the convention. It was referred to the committee of detail, and thereby placed at the disposal of the committee, and brought directly to the notice and knowledge of every member. The committee never returned it to the convention, and it has not been found among the papers of any one of them. Pinckney published a description of it within a month after the adjournment of the convention, and a month later republished the description in a newspaper. In 1818, he authorized the publication of a paper which he certified to be a substantial copy of the draft it was immediately published with the first publication of the secret journal of the convention and widely disseminated as a public document at the time of publication sixteen members of the convention were living who must have desired we must assume to see the journal of the proceedings in which they had personally taken part and when they received the journal received with it a copy of pinckney's draft and yet when pinckney died more than six years afterwards no surviving member of the convention had denied or questioned the verity of the published draft there are very few historical papers in the world which have such a record of publicity behind them as pinckney's draft and it is idle to attack such a record with one man's suspicions and another man's inferences and our own prejudices and conjectures two incontrovertible facts are that at the time when these papers were written pinckney's draught was in possession of these same men wilson randolph and rutledge and that they never returned it to the convention this examination brings us round a circle to the question at which we started did the committee rightly use the draft of pinckney or did pinckney fraudulently copy the committee's draft the randolph and wilson drafts bring the case into this situation one randolph wilson and rutledge were the working members of the committee and worked together All that was done with the pen, so far as we know, was done by them. Wilson was the ready writer of the committee and had before him, when he wrote his final draft, his own preliminary draft, and Randolph's draft, and Pinckney's draft. 2. The final draft of Wilson was not begun until after his own preliminary draft was finished. The forty-three amendments of Rutledge came later, and were all subsequently considered and accepted by the Committee. 3. From an intellectual point of view, the final draft of Wilson with the annotations of Rutledge came near to being the draft of the Committee of Detail, but it was not the completed draft of the Committee, even from an intellectual point of view. For additional provisions were framed and the arrangement of provisions was changed and the articles were subdivided into sections from a printer's point of view the material for a written draft which was to be put into type did not yet exist four if a copy of the draft was prepared for the printer with rutledge's forty three amendments and the additional provisions and rearrangement of articles and the subdivision of articles into sections all engrossed therein it is plain that wilson the hard worker of the committee was the man who did it wilson saved everything that he wrote and consequently saved his best his best is his third his final draft but it is not the draft of the committee if he had prepared a copy for the printer it would have been his best by far the best thing he did it would have been returned to him by the printer with the proofs and wilson we may confidently conclude knowing how he saved even scraps of his writing would have preserved it five the evidence relating to the draughts of randolph and wilson therefore closes with the draught of the committee of detail still undrawn and with very little time left in which it could be prepared for the printer. When we couple together the two significant facts that the committee's work, that is, the manual labor, ended before they had prepared a draft for the printer, and that Pinckney's draft, which was in their possession and had been used by them, disappeared during the same eventful week, there can be but one inference. That the committee used it. End of chapter 11.